You are listening to One Nation Under Crime, a chronological true crime podcast. Each week, we go through our nation's history and discuss one case from each year starting in 1800. I'm Kayla. And I'm Leah. And we're officially legal to drink in the U.S. Why don't we have mimosas or something? Oh, I did have champagne. I mean. Just saying. Yeah. We could. Too late. Well, it's never too late. <laughs> anyway, but <clears throat> yes, we are in episode 21 in the year 1819, which makes me happy because it's a sequential number. Um, and we got an interesting one this week. We got a, this one's got a twist, like a, a, twist? a plot twist. Ooh, plot twist. It is very interesting. Um, yeah, Leah because, I mean, we've talked about it before, but Leah doesn't know what we're going to cover when we I cover don't. it. So she doesn't know what direction the story is going. So it should be a uh, should be some interesting <laughs> reactions as to how this case is going to go. I react well. Of course, I'm a little tired, but. Um, oh, no, you'll, you'll, you'll be invested. This will perk me up. Um, it's very interesting. So our sources for this week are the Westminster Detective Library. Uh, which I just find fun, uh, and the Northwestern School of Law. Um, so we are covering this week America's first wrongful murder conviction. Wrongful murder conviction. Yes, wrongful murder conviction. Uh, so we'll get into the events in 1819. Uh, January 2nd, we discussed it in the last episode, but January 2nd is when the panic of 1819 began. This is the first major financial crisis in the United States. We talked about that in our last episode. Mm-hmm. That was when the bank they decided all the we need everything now and everybody went, nah, fam, we're not giving it back now. We ain't um, got it. We ain't got it. We borrowed it. We ain't got it. January 25th, Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia. February 2nd, the Supreme Court under John Marshall ruled in favor of Dartmouth College in the famous Dartmouth College versus Woodward case, which allowed Dartmouth to keep its charter and remain a private institution. February 15th, the United States House of Representatives agreed to the Talmadge Amendment, barring slaves from the new state of Missouri. Um, This is the opening vote in a controversy that leads to the Missouri Compromise. But this was basically saying that Missouri is a new state and uh, you're not allowed to bring slaves into the state. Hmm. So this is kind of when more of that people were kind of putting their foot down as... uh, as people were moving into those areas. So February 22nd, Spain ceded Florida to the United States by the Adams-Onis Treaty signed in Washington, D.C. March 1st, the U.S. naval vessel, the USS Columbus, was launched in Washington, D.C. March 2nd, the Arkansas Territory... Arkansas Territory was created. March 6th, the Muckaluck, mm-hmm, Muckaluck, Muckaluck versus Maryland. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the Bank of the United States was constitutional. Mm. Apparently, there's argument that it was not. I'm assuming that has to deal with the Panic of 1819. Mm, probably. So, 
May 22nd, the USS Savannah left port at Savannah, Georgia on a voyage to become the first steamship to cross the Atlantic Ocean. The ship arrived at Liverpool, England on June 20th, so it took just less than a month for it to get there. June 22nd, the Nacogdoches. Mm-hmm. And Nacogdoches. You know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Texas, Dr. James Long and his force of 195 men declared a new government with Long as the president and a 21-member Supreme Council. This was the, um, we'll talk about it in the next bullet, but June 23rd, James Long issued a declaration of independence for his, quote, Republic of Texas. There you go. And uh, this is known as the Long Republic to uh, avoid confusion also later with the Republic of Texas. Uh, so anyways, the document was based on the United States Declaration of Independence and cited grievances, including Spanish rap- rapacity yep, and odious tyranny, promising religious freedom, freedom of the press, and free trade. July 4th, the Arkansas Territory became effective. August 6th, Norwalk University was founded by Captain Alden Partridge in Vermont as the first private military school in the United States. August, I know. August 24th, Samuel Seymour sketched a Kansas Lodge and War Dance at the present location of Manhattan, Kansas, while part of... Stephen Harriman Long's Exploring Party. This work is known as the oldest drawing to be made in the state of Kansas. November 3rd, the USS Congress, commanded by Captain John D. Henley, became the first warship to visit China. It landed at Linton Island off the coast of Canton. And... One of the facts that Leah loves to know, what happened December 14th of 1819? Alabama became a state. There you go. Guys, she's been holding on to that one since the beginning. Um, What state number was it? 20-something. 22. 22nd. There you go. 22. And then 1819 was when the African Slave Trade Patrol was founded to stop the slave trade on the coast of West Africa. So they were literally there to patrol to make sure that no one brought any more slaves over to really anything in North America. So we will go on to our births in the year of 1819, February 23rd. We have George Smith Cook. He is an early American photographer known for being the first to take a photograph of combat during a war. Oh. hmm He's a Pisces. Um, March 29th, Edwin Drake. That's a good name. It is a good name. A.K.A. Colonel Drake was the first American to drill successfully for oil. Huh. And he's Aries. This one just gives me nostalgic, nostalgic feelings. May 31st. Walt Whitman is born poet, essayist, and journalist who wrote 
oh, captain, my captain. I mm. feel as though I should stand up on a desk. <laughs> oh, gosh. If y'all have not, which trigger warning for anybody who does not quite recall Dead Poet Society, uh, why they showed that to us in school is beyond me. They didn't show it to um, me in school. Yeah. We watched it in uh, you literature classes. Either way. I think it came out when I was in school. That'd be why. Um <laughs> Either way, fantastic movie, fantastic with the late, great Robin Williams. And uh, one of the most famous scenes is when they fire, I mean, guys, this movie's been out forever, when they fire Robin Williams from the school because they don't think that he's teaching them properly because he's teaching at an all-boys boarding school. And they fire him. And... um. He was teaching his students, you know, about Walt Whitman and, oh, captain, my captain. And they all start standing up on their desks and saying, oh, captain, my captain. Um, One of the best cinematic moments of all time. Uh, If you have not seen that movie, stop this podcast right this second and go watch Dead Poet Society. Trigger warning for a few things um, in that movie. Again, don't know why they showed it to us in school, but uh, trigger warning for suicide uh, if you watch that movie. Uh, just be, uh, just be aware. Still, fantastic movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all about a boarding school and a teacher who was just uh, amazing. Um, Walt who, Whitman who really, really loved his students. Oh, such a good, oh, such a good, good movie. I've also I read one of those things that it's like a people's interactions with actors on set Mm -hmm. and one of the actors who was in dead poet society like he was this was the first movie he ever made and um he was talking about how robin williams was so kind to him and and which robin williams um i share a birthday with him um yes um or we're both cancers i think our birthdays are a few days off from one another but uh he's also a cancer (sighs) so anyways walt whitman was a gemini such a good movie, though. Anybody, it, just go watch Dead Poets Society. It is one of my top five favorite movies. Hmm. Um, August 1st, Herman Melville. And if you have watched the movie Matilda, you should know this name. Um, because Herman Melville was a novelist, short story writer, and poet who wrote Moby Dick. And That's if, disgusting. What are they having you reading in school? And uh, That's from Matilda. Yes. Matilda, such a good such yes. a good movie. And Miss Honey was amazing. Yes. I loved Miss Honey. The author of Matilda is also the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Sure and is. And Witches. And BFG. Yes. Very, very good movie. Um, very t- terrifying movie also. But um, because of Mrs. Trunchbull. But very good movie. Uh, but yeah, I always... She always, she is. <laughs> We're reading Moby Dick by Herman Melville. <laughs> That's what I always remember that name. Uh, so then August, uh, Herman Melville was a Leo. August 29th, also a Leo. Uh, William T.G. Morton was born. He is the pioneer of anesthesia. He is the first to publicly demonstrate the use of inhaled ether as a surgical anesthetic. We talked about Horace Wells, who was born in 1815, um, and he was also a pioneer of anesthesia. But uh, Horace Wells and William Morton uh, shared a dentist practice together for a short period of time. 
And Horace Wells is most known for um, the use of laughing gas hmm. instead of actual, like, ether to put someone to sleep for anesthesia. And um, if y'all listened to our case on the disappearance of the USS Pervier, then you also know that nobody knows how anesthesia works. And it's a bit, it's a bit terrifying. Um, anyway. I've never had anesthesia. You've never been put to sleep for anything? Nope. Not like wisdom teeth or anything like that? I've never had. The, on, the only procedure I've had is when they took the mole off of my forehead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I've ever had. And they just numbed. It was just local anesthetic, just so I didn't feel them cutting my flesh. I was, a, I was, I was put to sleep when they took my wisdom teeth out. And then, because they had to, like, cut them out. Yeah, um, I still have all my wisdom. And then... Uh, Oh, and when I had that um, endoscopy last year, which I got to schedule that again for this year. Anyways, fun times. Um, they put me, that was a trippy feeling, uh, waking up from that. Um, I still remember talking to my nurse when I woke up, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun day. Um, <laughs> it was, it was funny. So October 2nd, this is the name, Tione. Raiver Mione. Mm-hmm. She is an American businesswoman who managed the famous restaurant The Mount Vernon in Charleston, South Carolina, which was known for um, being the first place in Charleston which explicitly catered to female customers. Oh. She was a Libra. Uh, then on December 26th, the day after Christmas, this is a name. If you thought that was a name, this is a name. That's not a name. This is a name. Emma, Dorothy, Eliza, Nivet, Southworth. Well, there you go. Was she very high society? She, and she actually went by her first four initials, which spelled out Eden. Love it. So she was Eden Southward. I love it. Even though it was Emma Dorothy Elizabeth Nevitt. <laughs> I love it. Um, she was an American writer uh, who wrote more than 60 novels during her lifetime at this point. And she was one of the most popular novelists of her day. She was a Capricorn. And on to the deaths of 1819, February. Cat just bit me. Oh, she, that means she likes you. It was a love nip. It was a love nip. I always have to warn... Um, my daughter, Ellie, because Claire, the cat, she likes to lick and then bite. Just like, she out. does a few licks and then a bite. And I have to warn Ellie, like, hey, like she could do that and she's not being mean. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a love thing. But, yeah, she's she a love nip. She's a weirdo. Um, February 5th, Hannah Van Buren, wife of Martin Van Buren, the eighth president of the United States, died. April 15th, Oliver Evans uh, he was one of the first Americans building steam engines and an advocate of high-pressure steam and one of the most prolific and influential yep, influential inventors in the early years of the United States. May 22nd, Hugh, uh, well, actually, we'll go through all three of these. Uh, so all three of these men were founding fathers, and they all died in 1819. 
May 22nd was Hugh Williamson, September 18th was John Langdon, and October 7th was William Samuel Johnson. All three of them were founding fathers, all died in the same year. Hmm. So, we'll get on to our case this week. September 3rd of 1819, a grand jury found a bill of indictment against Stephen and Jesse Bourne for the murder of Russell Colvin. Stephen was set to hang on January 28, 1820, and Jesse's sentence was reduced to life in prison. Our story this week takes place in Manchester, Vermont. It is located in the southwest portion of Vermont in Bennington County. The county was originally chartered in 1761 by Benning Wentworth, who at the time was the colonial governor of New Hampshire. The town was named for Robert Montague, the third Duke of Manchester, which is just weird because it's just called Manchester, but whatever. The town was first settled in 1764, and the land was much better for grazing than farming. So by 1839, there were 6,000 sheep roaming the area. Uh. Mm -hmm. There were other industries that thrived in the area, such as iron mines, marble quarries, mills, and lumber companies. After the Civil War, the town became an affluent resort area and actually still remains to this day that as well. Orvis is one of the companies that originated in Manchester. You might know that name. It specializes in high-end fly fishing and hunting equipment. Hmm. If you look up Orvis and you see their logo, you know the name. It was one of those things that when I saw it, I was like, God, that sounds really familiar. Um, The company was founded in 1856 by Charles F. Orvis, and it is the oldest mail order retailer in the United States. They're still a company to this day. But yes, they're high-end fly fishing and hunting equipment. Orvis. Uh, let's see. Jake Burton Carpenter. He was the founder of Burton Snowboards. He created the perfect snowboard out of his garage in Manchester, where he also operated the company until 1992, before it relocated to Burlington, Vermont. Do you find Orvis? Yeah, I didn't recognize you it. You did I think it might be. It, I think they're connected to uh, Field and Stream. Hmm. I think they're Field and... It's definitely not Bass Pro, but I think Field and Stream is okay. their connection. But yes, Orvis uh, company was there. So notable people from Manchester include Myra Bradwell, the first American woman to become an attorney. Jonathan Goldsmith, he's an actor, but you might know him as the most interesting man in the world from the Dos Equis commercials. (laughs) Robert Todd Lincoln, who's the first son of Abraham Lincoln, the president, and these are just, I didn't put their names down, but these are all presidents of different colleges currently, the presidents of Union College. John Hopkins University and Stanford University are all from Manchester, Vermont. Wow. And Richard Treat Williams is from there. He is also an actor who... Yes, he was in everywhere. (laughs) He is most known for his starring role in the 1979 musical film Hair. Oh, how funny. But he was in Everwood as well, correct? Yeah. Yes. I just remember his name, Treat. I mean... Treat Williams, yes. Um, because in here he had a tattoo of a pair of scissors on the bottom of his foot. 
Um, hmm. Good movie, by the way. Manchester really became famous between 1812 and 1819 because of the Bourne Colvin case known as America's first wrongful conviction murder case, which is what we are going to get to today. But before we can get to 1819, we have to go back to May of 1812. Our case begins, like many at this time, with a family feud. As always. Not the good kind. Not not with like Steve Harvey. Not like good answer, Uh -uh. good answer. Good answer. Everybody always says it's a good answer. You know Um, my favorite? Name a word that comes after pork. Coupon. That is is one of the best ones. Coupon. Golly. Uh, No, it was name a type of pork. No, it was a word that comes after pork because another answer was lawn. And they didn't know what she was saying. It was loin. loin. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, oh, goodness. I love a good, a good uh, family yes. feud. A little, you yes. know, skit, little funny answers. Okay, continue. That's so funny. Um, Stephen and Jesse Bourne had a sister uh, named either Sally or Sarah. Huh. Apparently, no one really cared, um, which is interesting <laughs> considering what happens later on. Uh, but her name was either Sally or Sarah. Maybe one was her actual name and one was her nickname. I don't know. Um, but she married Russell Colvin, who was described as, quote, a half-crazed, half-witted say laborer. Colvin was also known as deranged, dim-witted, and he was known to drink a lot of the time when a lot of people drink a lot at this time. So when a drunk says that you drink a lot, that probably says a bit. And they let their sister marry this guy? We'll get there. Okay. So it's safe to say that the Bourne brothers didn't really get along with their brother-in-law. The family was described as a bad lot. Wait, so Josie's a boy. Jesse. I thought you said Josie. Jesse. 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 Okay, continue. Um, <laughs> the family was described as a bad lot who were poor, ignorant, and in doubtful repute for honesty. Oh. Mm-hmm. They a bunch of liars. Mm, I mean, who knows? Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. There's a lot of dishonor that goes on in this. Okay. Um, okay. The family had two hovels. Hovels. Hovels, which is a small, unpleasant, simply constructed dwelling. So like a lean-to, kind of. Not even a shack. Not even a shack. Um, And they had a few acres of pine. They grew vegetables to get by, and they worked for neighboring farmers. It is said that in May of 1812, the brother-in-law, Russell Colvin, was seen at his home. By the next month, he was missing. Month. Month. Just keep that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't too much of a big deal, because much like our last episode, Colvin was a bit of a tramp and was known to be away from home for weeks at a time. He's a tramp. And but I uh, love him. I don't think Sally loved him. Sally, Sarah, I don't think she loved him that much, which is really funny because... We used to, at our job, we used to deal with somebody whose name was Cindy, but her sign on her email was Sandy. So we always <laughs> called her Cindy Sandy. We never, because we didn't know who, which one it was. It was always Cindy Sandy. Um, so it's like, funny because she's, she's Sally Sarah. Um, 
So, do you know what movie that song was from that I was singing? Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. It's Lady and the Tramp. Yes. Yes. Everyone should know Lady and the Tramp. They should. Um, but they don't. So, Colvin had never been gone this long before. And typically when he left, he took his son with him for some unexplained reason. But months passed by and people started to ask questions about what happened to Colvin. It was gossip in a small town. And as Leah knows, that spreads like wildfire. I mean, if I don't know what I'm doing, I just got to <laughs> ask a neighbor. I know. mean, they can tell you everything that happened. Mm-hmm. They can tell you who was at the grocery store that day. Absolutely. Him, especially where Leah lives. It's a very small town. Very um, small. Mayberry. Uh, so, it was gossip in a small town, like I said. And uh, a lot of people knew about this little feud between the Bourne brothers and Colvin. Because, as we said, Colvin, not a great guy. Um, then people heard that the last time Colvin was seen, he was working with the Bourne brothers, clearing some stones in a field, and they were arguing. Mm, stones, <laughs> argument, field. Mm. From there, people started to speculate that the brothers knew more about the disappearance of Colvin than they were letting on. Lewis Colvin was the son of Russell Colvin. And uh, I'm assuming this is the son that he used to take with him when he disappeared, but he didn't go with him this time. So he was in the field that day helping remove stones, and he remembered his father hitting his Uncle Stephen. And then his Uncle Stephen hit back. Once Lewis saw this altercation between his father and one of his uncles, he got scared and just ran away. I mean, I ain't going to get hit. Mm-mm. Someone in town asked Stephen what happened to Colvin. A man with the last name of Baldwin heard Stephen answer. Stephen Baldwin. Um, <laughs> he's gone to hell, I hope. Well. Mr. Baldwin cut in and asked, is he dead, Stephen? Stephen replied with, I'll tell you again that Colvin is gone where potatoes won't freeze. <laughs> potatoes won't freeze. Gone where potatoes won't freeze. <laughs> So Stephen claimed that Colvin what an odd response. Uh, right. I mean, not wrong though. Uh, Stephen claimed that Colvin was just freeloading off the family and using his sister for some reason or another that was never explained. I mean, I could guess why you'd use one, but anyways. Um moving right along. Seven years passed, and we are now up to 1819, and nothing really happened as far as looking into what actually happened to Colvin. Nobody really cared, huh? Then one day, Amos Bourne, he was the uncle of the Bourne brothers, claimed to see Colvin at his bedside in a recurring dream. Oh, my. He He had a vision. mm -hmm. He claimed that Colvin's ghost told him that he had been murdered, but he didn't say who murdered him, only that his body had been put in a cellar hole in the potato field on the Bourne farm. Potatoes. Potatoes. Where the potatoes won't freeze. Um, after this, the cellar hole was excavated and they found broken pottery, a button, a pen, a jackknife, and zero human remains. Then Sally, Sally Sarah, the sister. Um, it's a twister. Yep. And wife of Russell Colvin took a look at the items and said they belonged to her husband. 
if he's been gone for seven years and he wasn't that great of a husband in the first place, just let it go. Then why would she claim the items were his and try to pin this murder on her brothers? Possibly because Sally had given birth to a child. And it was quite a bit of time after her husband had gone missing. Oh, dear. Clearly, this child was not her husband's. Uh Uh-oh. But at the time, by law, it was presumed that a child born to a married woman had been fathered by the husband. Uh, yeah, and had to carry the husband's name. And because of this, Sally Sarah couldn't obtain child support from the child's actual father. In order for her to be able to get child support, her husband had to be dead. Supposedly, she didn't realize when she identified the items as her husband's that her brothers would be the first suspects. Oh, dear. They said they were dim-witted. I guess they weren't kidding. Um, soon after the excavation, the sheep barn on the Bourne property mysteriously went up in flames. Oh, dear. Then a few days after that, a dog... He didn't find a skull this time. He dug up a few bone fragments near the Bourne property, and three physicians in the area concluded they were most likely human. Oh, my. Most likely. How did this all happen all at the same time? Mm-hmm. That's craziness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. These events just fed into the rumor mill, and soon Jesse Bourne was arrested. And a warrant was put out for Stephen Bourne's arrest. Stephen had moved to Denmark, New York, two years earlier and had to be found before he could be arrested. While Jesse was in jail, he shared a cell with a forger named Silas Merrill. That's a name. Unfortunately for Jesse, Merrill decided to try and help himself out and claimed that Jesse confessed after a visit from Jesse's father. Uh-oh. Merrill said Jesse admitted that he hit Calvin during an argument. Then when Jesse's father saw what happened and that Calvin was still alive, small trigger warning, go ahead and skip, the father cut Calvin's throat, and then the three men, Jesse, Stephen, and their father, buried Calvin in the old cellar hole on the property. Merrill then said that two or three years after the murder, the men dug up the remains and buried them in the barn. And once the fire had destroyed the barn, they moved the bones near the tree stump, and that was when the dog found them. Nice. That all makes sense, right? I mean, fine. It's no surprise that Merrill decided to lie, because if he promised to testify against the Bourne brothers in court, then he would be released Immediately. Oh, well, duh. The jailhouse snitch. You know what happens to snitches? Yes. The state's attorney, Calvin Sheldon, accepted the deal to release Merrill with his testimony, and Merrill was, in fact, immediately set free. As we've seen in previous cases, the sentence for murder, typically death, And Jesse was terrified to receive a death sentence, and he confessed. Hmm. He minimized his involvement in the attack and stated that his father had nothing to do with it. The brother's father was actually never charged in the case at all. 
The confession put the blame on his brother, Stephen, instead of himself. Jesse thought his brother was safe and not able to be found since he had left years earlier. Oh, so thought nobody was really going to get punished for it. Authorities found Stephen. And he promised to return to Manchester to clear his name in the case. As soon as Jesse heard of his brother's return, he immediately recanted his confession, saying that he only confessed to save his life as well as his father's. Um, but it didn't matter that Jesse recanted um, in the state's eyes because it only made their case stronger in their eyes against the Bourne brothers. Just as Jesse feared, state's attorney Sheldon was seeking the death penalty in the case. Yeah. People started coming out of the woodwork, because what have we said happens in a small town? And all these people kept saying, oh, I saw it. I know what happened. I saw it. Mm. Um, and they started recalling what they had, quote, seen. This was also when people started coming forward and uh, talked about the comments that the Bourne brothers had made after Calvin went missing. Like, oh, going to where potatoes don't freeze. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not smart. Well, Stephen didn't learn the lesson that his brother had already failed at, and Stephen confessed to the murder but claimed it was only in self-defense. Before the start of the trial, the bones found in the tree stump were taken to a nearby county and compared with an actual human leg bone that had been amputated. Interesting. It was very clear that the bones found on the Bourne farm were not human bones as previously stated. (laughs) The bones were from an animal. But since the physicians had already said that the bones were human previously, this is what everybody continued to believe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there were major problems with the confessions of the two as well, um, such as the fact that uh, no one could corroborate any of the facts, and that Stephen wrote his confession out eloquently and very precisely, which is a miracle for someone with almost no formal education and mm-hmm. who was described as someone with. Very low intelligence. Bless it. Oh, goodness. Um, It's more likely that Stephen's defense attorneys, Richard Skinner and Leonard Sargent, those are some attorney names. There you go. Were the ones who wrote the confession because they assumed that their client was guilty. So much for a defense attorney. (laughs) Then there's the fact that they started the entire investigation based on a dream. That Amos Bourne supposedly had. Well, the trial began on September 3rd of 1819, and the jury found a bill of indictment against Stephen and Jesse Bourne for the murder of Russell Colvin. William Farnsworth was a man who testified, and he said that Stephen confessed that he did it, and Jesse helped him hide the body in a nearby bush. Ask me if there's any proof. Hey, Kayla. Yes, Leah. Is there any proof that this happened? No. So, given all the other evidence and testimony that they had received, 
they went ahead and sentenced the men to hang on January 28th of 1820. Oh, my. Oh, my. The two men said that they only confessed as their last hope and that this actually did garner some sympathy for them. A petition for their pardon was presented to the legislature, but it didn't pardon the brothers. All it was able to do was commute Jesse's sentence to life in prison instead of death, and Stephen was still sentenced to hang on January 28th of 1820. Wow. And that's the end of our story, right? No. There's more. (laughs) It's like an infomercial. I I need you to, I I, I need you to try and guess what happens next. I need to know what Leah's the actual is. body is found. Okay. And the wife done it. Okay. So we got to go back to April of 1813. Oh my. James Polymus from Dover, New Jersey. New Jersey, we are currently in Vermont. Sure, sure. Was working his land when a weary traveler stopped and begged for food. The traveler was handy, seemingly good-natured, quiet, and obedient. And because of this, the man was welcome to stay for a period of time to help him get back on his feet. The man said his name was Russell Colvin from from Manchester, Vermont. Leah's face. Nice. Fast forward again, and we are with a man whose name, this is a pretty sweet name, actually, Tabor. Chadwick. Interesting. Tabor is an interesting name. Tabor, like saber with a t- Tabor. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, and Tabor just happened to be friends uh, with James Polymus, who's the one who took in Colvin. Chadwick was reading the New York Evening Post, and he read the account of the Bourne Brothers trial. Chadwick was convinced the Russell Colvin taken in by his brother-in-law, who was his, he was friends with was the same that the brothers were accused of murdering. (laughs) So he wrote a letter to the Evening Post, and it was published on December 9th of 1819. This is after the case, after everything happened, just a little bit over a month and a half before Stephen was sentenced to be hanged. Those in Manchester saw the letter published in the paper, but they weren't fazed by it. They assumed it must be a fraud or it's got to be a forgery. Oh, my. There should, there's probably plenty of people named Russell Colvin. After all, somebody could have just said that he was Russell Colvin. Right, right. I mean, who knows? Um, after all, the brothers were found guilty by a judge and a jury. So. And they confessed. They couldn't have gotten it wrong. Right. And then they confessed to it. I mean, that's the thing. So no one had any doubt of their guilt still. Um, And it still didn't prevent Stephen from hearing about the letter. And one of the jailers read it to Stephen while he was in his cell. Because keep in mind, Stephen also could not read. So how could he write his own confession? Mm. Stephen dropped to the ground, fainting immediately, and came to once cold water was finally thrown on his face. Another letter came the next day from a man with the last name of Welpley, who was a former resident of Manchester, Vermont. Welpley claimed that he had seen Colvin with his own eyes in New Jersey as well. The members of the jury got a little antsy 
and they were still hesitant to accept any of it. The judge pointed to Stephen's confession as proof of the crime, and they tried to just keep moving on. Well, another letter came. Oh, ma. From Welpley and a man named John Kempton, which said, quote, I have Russell Colvin with me. I personally know Russell Colvin. He now stands before me. It is the same Russell Colvin who married, they call her Anne, so now she's Sarah Sally Ann, born of Manchester, Vermont. But because they called her Anne, they didn't think it was the right person. Oh, ma. The sentence of the brothers still stood. People started to believe that Colvin must have a twin somewhere, and there's no way oh, there's this is the real Colvin. That's what it is. There's a twin. I mean, Colvin's dead, right? Sarah Sally Ann said that all those things in the cellar hole were her husband's, right? So he's dead. It's gotta be. He's gone. He has kids. He has kids. I mean, he's gone. Because no man has ever walked out on his family. Right? Then Russell Colvin himself was seen walking down the streets in Poughkeepsie, New York. Ugh. People were in shock. After all, they were seeing a ghost. And news started to spread quickly. Every newspaper in the tri-state area had stories about Colvin. And in Albany, he was put up on a stand in front of the town for all to see that it was, in fact, Russell Colvin. Some people become famous when they die, right? <laughs> and Colvin was becoming famous simply because he was alive. Wow. December 22nd of 1819, just a few days over a month before sentence to hang, a double sleigh was driven down the main street in Manchester, Vermont, to the tavern door. The sleigh contained Welpley, Kempton, Chadwick, and Russell Colvin. <laughs> People gathered around to see if it was, in fact, the, quote, real Colvin, because still everyone thought this was a hoax. And someone said, that's Russell Colvin, sure enough. There's no doubt about it. Colvin embraced his children and then headed for the jail. The prison doors were opened and Stephen Bourne heard the news of Colvin's return. Reverend Liminal Haynes said, Colvin has come, Stephen. Stephen said, has he? Where is he? From behind him, he heard, here I am, Stephen. What's them on your legs? Stephen replied, shackles. Colvin said, what for? <laughs> Stephen said, because they said I murdered you. Well, because he confessed that he did. And Colvin said, you never hurt me in your life. Stephen and Jesse Bourne were released from prison. And Colvin returned to New Jersey. And that is the first wrongful murder conviction of the United States. That 
is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, first but of all. Why did the Dumbos confess to it? So I have a theory on a lot of confessions when stuff like this they happens. They just feel pressured um, to do it. I mean, even today, we still have people that confess to murders and crimes that they didn't do. Uh, if I know a lot of people out there are true crime documentary buffs, so you've seen Making a Murderer, um, and that's still a case that's going on now, um, which is a case in the U.S. where basically they had them confess to murder and they didn't, they didn't do it. Um, there's also the West Memphis Three that one of them confessed, said that they did it, and none of they actually had proof that none of them could have been there at that time. Didn't prevent them from serving uh, death sentences on death row for over 20 years, but, yes. you know, uh, they're out now. But, uh, yeah, so it happens a lot. A lot of people will confess falsely to a crime that they yeah. didn't commit. A lot of times it's a bunch of different things. Uh, it really depends on what the police are telling you at that time. I'm sure, and you're in a state of... And if you're not real intelligent, um, it's not unheard of that you would go, this is the only way I can. I don't know what else to do. I can't. Yeah. I've yeah. said it. I, I've said I haven't done it. What else can I do? Um, I know you can be pressured into thinking, well, you know, maybe I did. Or that's the only way I can get you right. to, to, be, to leave me alone. Well, and you've got physicians that say that the bones that they found were human the first time. Yeah. Second time, they're not human. You have all these people. I mean, you made a comment saying that he went where potatoes don't freeze. Yeah. So... What, like what? What do you do with that? And Which is an odd comment, by the way, it is. And then still, the man's still missing, and it's been seven years. Like at some point, and then Sarah Sally Ann is sitting there saying, <laughs> "Sarah Sally Ann, those are though that's my husband's stuff." Just because she got knocked up by some guy, and well, she needs I mean, child support, it could be her husband's stuff. But I mean, stuff gets left in cellar. Stuff gets, you know, I mean, buttons or whatever can come off of clothing. It is just there's no way to know whose is whose stuff. I mean, and if it's been down in a cellar for seven years, yeah, I mean. Then you have somebody who decides to become a jailhouse snitch, but they, which they never said what happened to him. I'm assuming he was still out. Maybe he got stitches. I don't know. Who knows? Um, you still have him out there flitting around saying that, oh, Jesse confessed to me. And so now somebody's coming to you saying, oh, we heard you confess. Mm -hmm. So then what do you do? You're like, um, yeah. I can either try and confess and maybe not get the death penalty. Right. Or I can say that I'm innocent, still get the death penalty, or hope that something happens because I have no clue what happened to Russell Colvin. Yeah. He's just gone. And um, I guess that's what they decided to go with. That's craziness craziness and then three people write letters saying no no he's right here in front of me i see him i'm looking at him and they were like nah you don't it's not him i, I don't i don't know who that is but it's not him that's why i'm thankful for modern technology like 
you know, have a video call. Look, you see me, you mm-hmm. see him, you see me, you see him. Oh, well, they'd still go. It's been seven years. Guy's appearance could change. So he may not even look like 100% the same person. So they'd DNA be like, testing. Um, Swab his mouth, y'all. Swab his mouth. <laughs> Fingerprints. Leah's never seen, uh, clearly, the documentary, The Imposter. Oh, shut up. Well, it was about a guy who said he was a missing child. Mm. And they did tests and everything on this missing, quote, missing child. Um, the missing child was supposed to be like 16, 17 at that point. The man was actually like 32. Oh, no. Who was saying he was the 17-year-old. And the family was like, this is not our kid. And the police were like, just try him out for a little bit. Just try him out. You try, you lie. And it turns out that this guy had like tried to... He it's called the documentary's the imposter because he had tried before to like <gasps> say he was other missing people. Oh my and goodness! Yeah, it was uh, quite the roller coaster of emotion. So sad. So it happens. I mean, a lot of people confess to things that they didn't do. There's so many yeah, cases out I mean, there of I false know. confession. It just makes me sad. Well, I just think that what's funny is that Russell's like. Hey, what's going on? Yeah. What are what are what's uh, on your legs? Why you got them on there? What uh But that just killed me because they say I murdered you. Yeah. That's like the best line. Yeah, but um well you didn't. I'm right here. I wanna know what Sally, uh Sarah Ann is sitting there thinking when her husband <laughs> just strolls back up into town and then he went back to New Jersey. Yeah, like did he stop by and say I mean, it says that he hugged his children. But didn't say anything about her. No. I mean. So, what, what about, what about her? Yeah. But no, he just went back to New Jersey. So, did he have, like, another family in New Jersey? I wonder. Why did he leave? Just the pressures of marriage and life too much. You just decide to up and leave. Maybe his brothers-in-law were were mean and he was afraid they were going to beat him up. I mean, well, but that's the thing. He said, you never hurt me before in your life. Maybe he was afraid they were gonna. <sighs> People are crazy. They are. Crazy. But I mean, just to imagine <laughs> this guy just strolling up the street and everybody's like, oh, <gasps> yeah. What? <laughs> is, 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 that, is that him? Is that a ghost? Did you, did you see that? It's a ghost. It's pretty funny. I mean, so insane. Just like different stories that happened in that time and how they end up figuring out like, oh, no. Um, no, 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 no. You have, you have the wrong guy. And they're like, no, we, we're pretty sure we have the right guys. No, but hey. Peekaboo, here I am. But <laughs> no, we're we're good. We think that uh, we think we think we got our men. We're good. Uh, do you? How do you think that you feel? Like, because I tried to read on as to whatever happened with like the judges and the jury and everything like yeah. that, and no one, like, nothing ever really came of it. Nobody really said anything. <laughs> My bad, guys. J.K. <laughs> um. You remember that whole thing about us sentencing you to death? 
we could just like sweep that under the rug, right? Like it never happened. Let's just erase all that. So elections are coming up. Um, I know this is real awkward, but if I could get you to endorse me, it'd be great. Could that, could we work that out? I, look, I understand. I sentenced you to hang. I get it. Feelings were hurt. That was two months ago. Okay. This is now. And I feel as though we can forgive and move forward. So is that a yes? Can I count on your vote? I feel like if you endorse me, I feel like everybody would just follow your lead. Everybody might just kind of forget what happened. Hey, and that could actually, actually, think about this, Stephen. That could be good for you. (laughs) This could could be a real selling point for you. Because... I mean, then look, then people know no ill feelings between us, right? 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 I could just put you back in jail. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, kidding. Totally kidding. Not going to put you back in jail. But I do have friends that are watching you. I mean, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's neither here nor that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take a joke. Take a joke. See, you remember that time that I sent you to hang? That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke, and it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. But look. Good you time. didn't die, did you? Good times we had. But but did you die? Remember those shackles? Remember I got you some padding Remember for that? them when they were chafing? Remember? Took care of you. Remember? Got that cold water for I you mean, when you passed out? Remember that? You remember? Remember? No, no, no. It wasn't me, but it was, uh, it was my sister's cousin's brother's son that got you that water. And right, so right, I right. feel, feel as though. I got him that job. I'm the one that got him that it job. It was because of me. So, <laughs> yes, I'm counting on your vote, right? <laughs> yes. Look, an endorsement, it'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, I'm not saying it's necessary, but I am saying I'm still the judge right now. So. Oh, and how is your wife like in the new bonnet? She, she good? She, she, I mean, I did see her running around with somebody else the other day. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> But I'm saying if you want something done with the guy, I know people who know people who know. It'll be clean this time. They will have actually done it. I mean, wait, what? So. I know a guy that can, like, tell some stories. I'm going to go talk to Jesse. I'll let you think. I'll let you think about it. You seem to be the older brother in this scenario. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you sleep on it. I'll be back tomorrow. We can discuss uh, your speaking engagements and um, <laughs> no hard feelings, right? 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 Goodness gracious! Look, d- you never made it. You didn't make it to the platform to get hanged. Okay, I'm just saying <laughs> things could other have platforms been worse. for you. This is different kind of platform altogether. People will totally forget about it. It's, it, it might have been two months ago, but it's fine. It could be it's a great fine. team. It's fine. Great team. You remember You remember that whole Hamilton-Jefferson thing? You remember how they were enemies? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember what happened with that? Look, it might have led to Hamilton's death. Remember? Like our partnership could have led to yours. Again, kidding. 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 All jokes. Hey, I'm just the judge. Who am I? Who am I to judge whether you are guilty or, oh, wait. Wait, no, can't, I can't say that. Sorry. Because that's like my job. Mm. Mm. 
See, this stuff gets tricky. You see, you see, it differently. Do you see how my job could be difficult? Do you see this? Do you see? Sometimes we make mistakes. I don't. I don't make mistakes. I'll be by tomorrow to collect your proposal on endorsing me. And uh, we'll go from there. New start. New start, bright horizon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clear eyes, open heart, can't lose. Let's go. <laughs> Oh, well, that was a case for this week. It's two twenty-two. Um, love a good synchronicity, and uh, we love you guys. So we have a website, and you can find everything you're looking for about us. Well, not everything. Not everything. Not everything. Some secrets we keep close um, to our hearts. Got to keep some things. Some things close, like the middle school haircuts. We all had those. Guys. I had bangs. Um, it was bad. I had bangs and I had a bob. Um, Ooh, I had a bob and I got curly hair. I, mm. I wasn't gonna say anything. Mm. Uh, so we're one nation under crime on Facebook and Instagram, and at O N U C Pod on Twitter. Go now to Apple Podcast. Rate and review our podcast. Five stars only. If you made it this far and you don't think we deserve five stars, what are you still doing here? I mean, because we had a great little comedy this shtick was, just then. And that 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 was off the cuff, guys. That it was, was um That's us. That, that's, that's us. That's just us. And you're welcome. We understand. Look, you get this for free, guys. Free. How lucky are you? Um again, can we count on your endorsement? What can we say except you're welcome. We didn't uh, We didn't frame you for murder. No. We didn't sentence you to hang. So, I mean, honestly, if you're really thinking about it, that alone deserves a five-star review. Uh, so we say you do it. You'll get a cool sticker if you send it to me and let me know that you did it. And, and give, give us your address. Uh, that too. Gotta that too. We, that. Do, we do need that. We can't just like, um, mm. We won't use the address for nefarious purposes. No, no, no. We, we won't like. Blech. We won't just like give you junk mail and stuff. We just want to send no. you a sticker no, to say that's thanks. It. That's it. Uh, we do have a Patreon where you can be like all the other cool cats and kittens on there that help <laughs> with cool cats and kittens. <laughs> that help with the cost <laughs> of making and hosting the show. Oh, uh, they're making a season two of Tiger King, oh, by the way. I saw that. Um, oh, goodness. So thanks for listening to us this week and uh, hanging on for our tangents. We love we you guys. We are happy, by the way. We are. Um, I'm about to go get that apple cider mimosa uh, right about now. Um, and we appreciate you sticking around for this week's episode of One Nation Under Crime. We will see you here, same time, different crime, next week. And remember, there isn't always liberty and justice for all unless you really didn't do it. And then uh, the guy that you're supposed to have murdered just shows up one day i mean out of the blue then it ask works. you hey what's that on your legs you know who knows um so you we'll think see he's kind of like forrest gump <laughs> lieutenant diane what's oh, that on legs. your legs <laughs> you ain't got no legs lieutenant diane <laughs> no but this time he had to uh, yeah he did legs. he did what's that on, what's your, that legs? on your legs <laughs> okay sorry oh gosh we gotta get out of here all right okay, bye. we'll see you then bye <laughs>